New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I think we're, I think we're due to start. Um, I want to introduce William Ford, who's, who's doing the talk this morning. I'm going to ask a couple of him a couple of questions so you can find out a little bit about him. Um, so, William, could you tell us where you're from? I'm from a small island to the east of here called England, as you can probably tell from the accent, uh, specifically mainly Essex, but the, uh, the stereotypes are not accurate. You weren't always a theologian. Can you explain just a little bit of how you've got there? I've discussed this earlier. I maintain we're always a theologian. Anyone who prays to God is a theologian, but not a professional theologian, no. I studied theology an undergraduate. I loved it. I did a master's ran out of money, um, and I turned to accountancy. So for five years, I was a chartered accountant, gained the qualification, um, and then went back and did a PhD in theology again. So a bit, a bit of a different mixed skill set there. And where did you do your PhD? In Durham. And after that? Um, well, after that, I then moved on to teach at All Nations Christian College in England. It was a cross-cultural missionary training college before... Um, 13 years ago, pretty much exactly, coming here um, to teach at Belfast Bible College. And what do you teach? What do I teach? Um, my, home, my home is sort of Old Testament. You'll find a bit of that, that today. But I also now teach a bit more Bible and a discipleship and some apologetics. So all kinds of different areas. How do we use the Bible? How do we read it well? That's sort of my sort of passion in trying to help people to read the Bible and use it better. Thank you, William. Uh, as you know from the, the title, William's really here to talk about lament. Someone sent, someone sent me this text. Complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character, but a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. So let, let's just pray for William before he starts. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being here, and we just pray now for William as he comes to speak to us, Lord, in this topic of lament. A topic, Lord, that we don't often talk about or hear about. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless William and be with him as he speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, and thank you for coming on this glorious sunny day. You've chosen to sit in another tent for an hour or so, so we'll try to make it worth your time. Let's start. I'm trying to juggle these different uh, items. Isabel, do you want your, um, your notes back? So, let me start with a question. How do we speak to God in times of difficulty? Imagine the situation. It is church on a Sunday morning, and the minister, whatever you call them, says, let's pray to God about the difficulties in our lives. God, what are you doing? Our lives are a total mess. Why are you allowing this to happen? Are you asleep? Wake up. Do something about it. We trust in you. Help us. Amen. How might you or other members of the church respond if your minister did that? Would you say amen? <laughs> In other words, would you think that's an appropriate way to speak about God? Just think about that for a few seconds. I imagine that many of you, or if not you, say someone in the church, would be a bit shocked by that. Um, someone probably in the church at least would say, no, you can't speak to God that way. 
Well, the point of this session is to challenge that view. I'm here going to suggest that not only can we speak to God that way, but that we should speak to God that way, not all the time, but as an ongoing part of our Christian life when we are in difficulties, and it can form part of renewing our minds, the, the theme for this week. Now, before no one's walked out and discussed yet, um, before you put the shutters up and say, I'm not going to listen to any more of this, um, let me give you the main reason why we can and should speak to God that way, of course, because it is biblical. Now, I love the Bible, as the cousin with Elizabeth, I teach the Bible, I've taught it primarily at Belfast Bible College. It's a great privilege to have a job teaching the Bible. And in the Bible, people do speak to God this way, and it's appropriate. So let me give you just one quick example, the end of Psalm 44. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is called lament. Now, this isn't just in Psalm 44, it's in lots of parts of the Bible, more on that shortly. Now, maybe these are parts of the Bible that we don't know very well or we don't feel very comfortable with, but perhaps that means we're missing out on something rather important for our Christian lives in times of difficulty. So today we're going to think about this, lament. What is it? What does it look like? We're going to use Psalm 13 as a brief example. We're going to think about some possible objections as to why we shouldn't lament. You know, why is it really appropriate? We'll look at why it's important, how it can help, and finally, how we can take the first steps in doing this. And then there'll be time for Q&As. So obviously, this can only be a quick overview. I won't spend too long, because in this heat, nobody wants that. Um, but I'll mention some resources at the end, and if hopefully everyone has a handout. There's also resources on the handout that you can take it further if you want to. If, the, if you don't have a handout, there are some at the end you can pick up on the way out. So what is lament? Well, lament, short, in short, lament is praying to God when you're in pain. It's bringing our hurt, our confusion, our doubts, honestly to God as part of our relationship with him. Why do we lament? Because we believe in a loving God. Now, that may sound slightly strange, so let me unpack this a little bit. I'm going to give you two sets of assumptions. Here, the first set here. See if you agree with them. First assumption, God wants me to be totally honest with him. Yeah, this includes being honest about my feelings, even when my feelings are negative. Another assumption, God knows me utterly and completely. Psalm 139 tells us that before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So there's no point in trying to hide my feelings from God. You want to be polite like we are to other people because God knows how we're feeling anyway. It's about as foolish as trying to hide behind a pane of glass. Third assumption, God not only knows me utterly, but he loves me utterly. I am his child. He died for me and he won't love me less if I am honest with him. You know, we've seen we can't hide our feelings from him. The good news, we don't need to. He knows what we're thinking, and he loves us anyway. Now, do you agree with those? If you agree with those three assumptions, then you should hopefully say, yes, I agree that it's appropriate to be totally honest with God. There was a recent mental health campaign with the strapline, it's okay to say that you're not okay. Lament is the Christian version. It's okay to tell God that you're not okay. If life stinks, we can tell him that life stinks. Let me give you another few assumptions. God is good, utterly good. Ultimately, he does not want us to be in pain. You know, the world is broken, not by his desire, 
but because of human actions. Yes, he can teach us through suffering, but ultimately his desire is not that we are hurting and in pain. Another assumption, God is powerful, utterly powerful. There is nothing in the world, no suffering, no evil, no situation that is greater than God. Third assumption, God has made promises to us. He's promised that he'll be with us. He'll promise that he'll help us. And God keeps his promises no matter what. And final assumption, God is relevant to absolutely everything in my life, every situation and every feeling. Do you agree with those four? Because if you agree with those four, it means that we can trust God utterly. Now, that's not easy. That's especially not easy when it's difficult. But at the heart of our relationship with God... We can trust him to do what is right in any situation. And lament is like putting both of these together. Now, it's going to be difficult to do with these props. Um, life stinks. I'm going to be honest about that. I'm going to be honest to God about the horrible situation I'm in and the way I'm feeling about it. I trust in God. Can't do this with a handheld mic. God is relevant to my situations and my feelings. Therefore smashing the tech. Therefore, we pray. We lament. We honestly, painfully seek to trust in God, even in difficulties. What does lament look like? There's kind of the, the two together. That's lament, putting the two together. What does it look like? Uh, one way to structure it comes from a quite useful book, Mark Vrogop's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. On the handout, you have to write it down. And in it, he breaks lament into four elements. Firstly, we turn to God. Lament is a prayer. We speak it to God. If we're going around going, oh, God doesn't care, my life's a mess, to other people, then that might suggest a bit of lack of faith. But we are saying it to God, and that makes the difference. We want to engage with God about our situation. You know, generally in prayer, we bring our situation or those of others to God. Lament is no different, because we can and should bring anything to God. Then you bring your complaint. And if we're honest, this is probably the part of lament that we're the least comfortable with. You know, I mean, is complaining really a good thing? Answer, well, it can be if it's based on the right thing. So, yes, if we're complaining that life isn't exactly the way I want it to be, then that's probably inappropriate. But if we're complaining based on God's character and God's promises, that's different. We're complaining that life does not seem to be the way that God said it should be. You said this, God. You're like this. That's why I'm complaining. You know, we believe that God loves us, has promised to help us. It doesn't feel like that right now. Quite the opposite in some cases. So we speak that out clearly. We don't hedge. We're not diplomatic. There's no point. He knows what we're thinking. We can speak honestly and bluntly, setting out the particular pain or injustice that is jarring with God's character and promises. We can do that with questions. Why, Lord? How long? What's going on? Ironically, we complain because we think a lot of God. Imagine a child tearfully saying to their parent, but you promised. Why is the child saying that? Um, probably because his experience is that most of the time the parents keep their promises. If a parent promises something and breaks it every day, you don't bother complaining. It's just what they're like. Similarly, he probably believes the parents will listen to him. Otherwise, there's no point in complaining to them. It's because he thinks a lot of the parent, normally, that this seemingly broken promise jars, 
and it hurts, and he says so. Well, of course, God is our Father, and we think a lot of God, normally, at least. We believe he's good, he's trustworthy, and that's the basis of our complaint. If God was untrustworthy or didn't care or didn't listen, there'd be no point in complaining. Complaining to God is a sign of faith in him, ironic as that sounds. We could call this kind of complaining godly complaining, and it forms part of lament. The third stage is ask boldly. We've outlined the problem clearly and honestly. Now we ask God to do something about it. We move from focusing on the problem to focusing on God. The complaint is based on his character and his promises, so the request is based on his character. God, act in a way that is like you. Act in a way that flows from your love, your trust, your power. Act in a way to fulfill the promises you've made. And we ask boldly, not half-heartedly, because we believe in God and his promises. Now, we're not giving God orders. Who can? We're speaking out our desires, our understanding, what we want God to do, because in our limited understanding, that's what we want. And again, that's what we do in other prayers, isn't it? We come to God and we ask for what we think he should do. Sounds arrogant, doesn't it? But that's what praying's about. We're just maybe being a bit bolder here than we might otherwise be. Not very British. Um, We might get it wrong, of course, but we ask honestly, like a child asking their parent. And finally, we choose to trust. Because lament isn't primarily about complaining or asking. It's leading up to this point. Here's the but I trust in God section. We're just on the life stinks. I trust in God. And it will often start with a but, a yet, a however, a contrast. Despite this horrible situation that I've set out clearly, that I've engaged with, I still choose to trust in God. Because it is a choice. It's an act of the will. You know, I could say, life stinks. You know what? God isn't there. He's not listening. I don't care. I walk away. <coughs> but we don't. We choose to struggle. We want to trust. We're trying to push through to a point where we can still affirm that God is trustworthy and that we can commit to praise him even in our difficulties. And that isn't easy. Lament is trusting through the tears. Now, normally this comes at the end of the lament. The rest of it is leading up to this. You know, if we shortcut it and just start with, but I trust in God, of course I do. Well, it may well be true, but it's kind of academic. It may be not be engaging truly with our feelings. Let me give you an example of this. Psalm 13, often used because it's a nice, quick example. It's short. It's only six verses. It breaks into three verses, and they illustrate well the, uh, the different types or different parts pardon me, of lament. So verses 1 and 2 here, combine the turn to God and bring your complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, the point of these four how long questions is not to say, give me an exact timetable, God. Lament is not saying, give me the exact answer. <coughs> Rather, it's addressed to God and saying a cry that life shouldn't be like this. It's asking the almighty loving God why he's letting it happen. It seems like God is absent, doesn't it, to the psalmist? He feels forgotten that God isn't with him. And we want him to say, oh, but come on, of course, technically he's wrong, of course, God is with him. But that is missing out the depth of the feeling here. If God is loving and all kind and all powerful and with him, why is this happening? Why is his life in a mess? You ever thought that? Never asked that? It's a legitimate question. He's complaining based on God's character, godly complaint. 
Verses 3 and 4, or the second stanza, we get the act bold, ask boldly. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. The four questions are followed by three strong requests. Verbs that call on God to do something. <coughs> Firstly, look. See what's going on, God. Answer, don't just see it, but do something about it. Respond to me in some way. Give light to my eyes. This is, um, this is based on the, the view at the time that the eyes gave an indication of how you were feeling. So make my eyes bright, in our terminology, would mean heal me. We have mention here of sickness and of an enemy. We don't know exactly what this is. Often in the Psalms, we don't know exactly the situation of the psalmist. But there's obviously something going wrong here. Whatever the problem is, he's bringing it to his God. Oh, Lord, my God. He cries out to the God he knows, the one he's in relationship with. He believes that God cares about him. In verses 1 and 2, he feels abandoned by God. That's why he's upset. And he's bringing that abandonment back to God, which isn't a contradiction. It's part of the life of faith. And that brings us to the last couple of verses, the last stanza. Choosing to trust. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. But I trust, despite this horrible situation, despite the fact you seem absent, God, I still choose to trust in you. Specifically, I trust in your character. And you're a God of unfailing love. You're a God who saves. I trust in my previous experience of you. He has been good to me, even though right now he seems absent and life stinks. Now, presumably, there's no change in the psalmist situation between verse 1 and verse 6. We don't read about God intervening and changing things. This is the language of faith and trust. Verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6 may seem logically contradictory, but they're not. They're part of the tension of the life of faith. And also, by the time you get to verse 6, Presuming the psalmist is not now feeling absolutely fine and wonderful. I trust in you. Everything's wonderful. He's saying it through the tears still. But I trust in you. He's choosing an act of will to trust in God. So there you are. That's sort of a summary of lament. But there might still be some objections about using lament. And I'm going to consider three of them here. And answer them by drawing on different types of lament in the Bible to give you some indication of what we can find lament. If I don't come up with the objection you happen to have in your head, please do ask it later in the Q&As. <coughs> Me. So first possible objection. Complaining about our situation to God, doesn't that show a... Isn't that the sign of a weak Christian? A weak believer? Answer, no. Many of the great heroes of faith in the Bible lament to God when they're in difficulties. Moses laments to God when Pharaoh does the bricks without straw edict and Moses seems to have made things worse. Because what are you doing? Why haven't you done anything, God? David, lots of lament psalms are ascribed to David. Job, one of the most righteous men in the Bible, laments in detail. More on that in a minute. Jeremiah, a faithful prophet for over 40 years, laments to God in a series of laments. And even Jesus, we'll come back to Jesus and the third objection, even Jesus laments. Not the sign of a weak person. And, and, and by the way, none of these people are rebuked for lamenting. Where God does respond explicitly, he engages 
with them. Lamenting does not make you a bad or weak follower of God. Quite the opposite. Chris Wright puts it this way in his book, The God I Don't Understand. It's not about lament totally, but it's a really good book generally. And three chapters are on how we respond to evil. And Wright says this, It seems indeed that it is precisely those who have the closest relationship with God who feel most at liberty to pour out their pain and protest to God without fear of reproach. Lament is not only allowed in the Bible, it is modeled for us in abundance. God seems to want to give us as many words with which to fill in our complaint forms as to write our thank you notes. Just to pick up on his point about being modeled in abundance, let me mention just two biblical books that are substantially, you know, including lament. First one, Psalms. What is Psalms? Psalms is 150 songs or prayers to God. If you like, they're given to us examples of how we can communicate with God, approved prayers, approved communication with God, yeah? And these, there are different types of Psalms because we can express all kinds of different parts of life to God. Happiness, that is the interesting thing. The most common type of psalm is a lament psalm. One, roughly one third, roughly 50 of the 150 are lament psalms. You know, go through modern singing. How many times do we sing lament to God? Well, it's one third of the time in the psalm books. There you go. That's interesting. Have a look through the psalms sometimes. See how many you can spot. Secondly, there's a whole book of the Bible that is one long lament. Of course, the clue's in the title, Lamentations. Um, Not such a well-known book, but if you look through it, and again, I encourage you to do so at some time, you'll see chapter 1, 2, 4, 5, and the beginning of chapter 3 are the life stinks. It is setting out in detail, in graphic detail, in beautiful poetry, but in raw emotion, the writer's feelings about the disaster therein, which is the destruction of Jerusalem, God's city, and the temple, and everything. In the middle of it, there's a section we probably know the best. You know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. This and the rest of chapter 3 are the but I trust in God bit. And they aren't said in peace and tranquility, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. No, they're said in pain. They're said in anguish, choosing to trust. Let me give you just a brief example from chapter 3. It starts in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Mm. <coughs> and then verses 2 to 19 give a number of examples, often quite brutal and painful details, of how he is suffering these afflictions. They end with this. I remember my affliction and wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Life stinks. The writer is very, very low. And then you come to the key verse, which actually verse 21, not 22. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. But I choose to trust. Why? Because of God's character. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Just have a read of chapter 3 sometime, if you can cope with the difficult imagery. Get a feel for the depth of the pain, and therefore the depth of the trust. Let me give you a second possible objection. William, it isn't theologically accurate. You're a theologian. It's not theologically accurate to say that God is asleep, or that God abandons us. And in one sense, 
That is correct. But in another sense, it isn't. You see, lament is not meant to be systematic theology or apologetics. Lament is trying to be an honest expression of how we are feeling. And it feels like God has abandoned us or that God is asleep. Saying that isn't technically true isn't going to remove the feeling. The feeling for our sake needs to be expressed. And we can see this in the book of Job. There are two main voices in the book of Job. There's the voice of the friends. Caring, theologically sound friends of Job who are trying to help him. We must understand that. They're not nasty people. They're trying to help him in his pain. And they're saying, Job, that's not true. You know that God is just. So if there's a problem, it must be your fault. Repent, turn to God and let him deal with it. The second voice, of course, is Job's voice. He's screaming out to God, God, what are you doing to me? How on earth am I deserving this? And Job says some pretty shocking things about God. Let me give you a few examples. It's all the same, by the way. Sorry if you can't read this. I didn't know how big the screen would be, but I hope you can read some of it. And you've got the, the references on your hand there, I think. It's all the same. That's why I say that God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Ooh. Grant me these two things, O God. Withdraw your hand far from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Ever prayed like that? Or he, God, has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. What a weird image that is. What do we make of that? Well... What does the book make of it? At the end of the book, one of the voices is commended by God. Which one? It's Job. God says to Eliphaz, one of the friends, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. We go, oh, hold on a minute. Does that mean that the friends were wrong to say that God is just and God, Job is right to say that God hates him? Can that be right? No. It means that Job, a man in horrendous pain, that hopefully none of us, most of us, if anyone, will never face that amount of pain, is speaking the truth about his feelings, about how it feels to him. He's speaking it honestly to God. In, in short, Job is lamenting and was right to do so. And the friends were not right to tell him not to lament. Now, you know, Job isn't theologically correct in some ways. Yes, we don't always get it right because we're not God. And in fact, God's speech to Job just before this in Job 38 to 41 is basically making that point. All that, that weird sort of wonderful imagery of creation and the hippopotamus and the behemoth and the leviathan. It's all saying this. Look, Job, do you understand how creation works? No, you don't because you're not God. You don't have a God's eye view of the world. You don't understand how the world works. Therefore, you cannot understand why all the evil in the world happens. And by the way, that's a salutary caution to all of us. You know, we can't try and understand everything. Nevertheless, Job, even with his limited vision, is commended because he spoke his feelings honestly to God. He didn't try to hide them behind theologically correct words that he didn't really mean at the time. In other words, when we lament, we don't have to worry about being utterly theologically correct. Rather, we focus on being honest to God. God is looking for honesty. You know, if, we, if we're worried about being uh, incorrect, we can apologize for it in advance. God, I know you're not really like this, but this is what it feels like. It feels like, mm. or God, if this isn't true, I apologize, but this is how I feel. Mm. And then be as blunt and honest as we can about how we feel. 
As we said earlier, God loves you. He knows you. He knows what you're feeling. He still loves you, and he's not going to love you less if you tell him. You can say whatever, whatever you are feeling to him. Incidentally, I mentioned the friend's point that Job should, re- Job should repent. And repentance can be part of lament. Some of the lament psalms acknowledge sin and ask for mercy. Some of them don't. And it's okay either way. Now, don't mishear me. We should, of course, repent when we know we've done wrong. And we should consider whether our suffering is linked to something that we're doing wrong. Sometimes it is. But it isn't, obviously, always. And if we're suffering and we can't see a reason for it under our control, then we don't try and repent to be politically correct or theologically correct. We need to be honest. And, by the way, when we're helping those who are suffering, our instant response should not be the friends, it must be your fault, you must have sinned, repent. It's not always going to be that. So a lot of the time, they may not be able to see at all what's happening. So third and last objection. William, you're an Old Testament lecturer, fine. Psalms, Job, this is all Old Testament. We're New Testament people, we're Christians, we live in the power of the resurrection. Is lament still for us or is it just Old Testament? Um, no, it's, <laughs> it's not just Old Testament. Actually, the Old Testament is incredibly relevant for us, generally, and so is lament. Yes, there's much more lament in the Old Testament, but then the Old Testament is, after all, three times the size of the New Testament. Um, but we do see lament in the New Testament as well. We see it, I mean, primarily in Jesus. The Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating blood. He's overcome with sorrow to the point of death. That's how bad he feels. And he laments, take this cup from me. Life stinks, do something about it. But I choose to trust, not my will, but yours be done. Then on the cross, he laments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Using the beginning of a lament psalm, Psalm 22. Note, Jesus, God incarnate, asks God why. I mean, surely he knows the answer. Yes, he does know the answer. He's expressing his pain. It's okay to ask God questions. Paul also laments or mentions lament in various places. He mentions lament in Romans 8. talks about us groaning, the spirit groaning. He even at that great part at the end, you know, more than conquerors, includes a lament verse. We're being sheep to the slaughter, etc. In 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about his thorn and how he begged God three times to take it away from him. In Roma, and perhaps the most explicitly of all, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, the martyrs lament, How long, sovereign and Lord, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long? Sounds very similar to Psalm 13, doesn't it? By the way, the fact that Jesus went through lament, temptation, suffering, cross, can reassure us in lamenting. God doesn't just know what we're feeling in the sense of Psalm 139, omniscience. He knows what we're feeling because he has experienced it himself. Suffering, temptation, all of it, and has spoken out in lament. You remember Hebrews 4 reminds us we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who's unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Yes, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, including the confidence of lament. On the basis of what I've said, and you know what, take a minute, stand up, stretch. Um, It's hot. 
Right, he's just blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have a drink of water myself, which I feel bad if people don't have water themselves. But um, I'm speaking for over half an hour, so I probably need it. I won't leave you with exercises. That's a bit naff. But uh, take a second and uh, just stretch and fan yourself or whatever. Okay, let's restart. Um, on the basis of what we've already seen, it seems reasonably clear that we can, hopefully I've convinced you, we can lament. It's appropriate for Christians to lament. Let's go a little further and think about what, what, why we should lament. Not just an option, but a really important. Not all the time, but as an ongoing part of our relationship with God, both as individuals and as a community. Why should we lament? Let me go back to my original question. How do we speak to God in times of difficulty? If not lament, then how? We could say nothing, of course, to God about it. Well, that's effectively saying that God is not relevant, isn't it? One evangelical Bible scholar, Jamie Grant, calls this functional atheism. We're saying that in practice, by our acts or by our lack of acts, we're not seeing God as relevant to our lives or not to the horrible bits of our lives or not to our feelings. We don't want to go there. God is relevant to everything. Maybe we do speak to God about it. We do it sort of hesitantly. Well, God, if you wouldn't mind, maybe could you possibly help me out here or be with me or something? I'm not going to try and be specific because I'm not. What are we doing? Well, we're, we're, we're trying to engage, but we're not doing it boldly. We're not sort of, you know, we don't want to be arrogant, but we're not, we're not bringing our pain to God. We may be bringing the situation to him, but are we bringing our feelings to him? We may be thinking, why doesn't he do something? But we're not saying it. Well, why not? You know, he knows what we're thinking. And the problem with this is it can lead one of two ways. One, because we don't express it, we can internalize it and focus in on it. And that pain becomes rage and bitterness. Or perhaps we try and bury it or deny it. Kind of spiritual stuff up a lip doesn't exist. Everything's fine. Now, at this point, I should acknowledge that I am not a trained pastor or carer or counselor. So this is not my field of expertise. I can only go to people who know more about it than I do. Let me return to this chap, Mark Vrogop, who is a pastor, uh, and he knows a bit more about this than I do. And this is what he says. He says, lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process pain. Silence, bitterness, and even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. Without lament, we won't know how to help people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comments, or impatient responses. Lament is how Christians grieve. My personal and pastoral experience has convinced me that biblical lament is not only a gift, but also a neglected dimension of the Christian life for many 21st century Christians. And note his point about lamenting and helping others. I focus mainly on us lamenting for ourselves, but it doesn't just have to be that. We can lament alongside others who are suffering. We can lament for individuals that we know. We can lament for the wider world. How do we as Christians respond to the war in Ukraine? The fact that there's, you know, people are dying in their millions of disease and starvation in the majority world. How do we respond to the economic crisis? What do we do? I mean, there are loads more issues. You know, add the issue that's particularly dear to your heart at the moment in the wider world. One thing we can do is come together and lament about it to God. He's not a God who ultimately wants war 
and disease and starvation and hurt. And we can bring our concerns about the wider world, our questions, our problems to God and call upon his character to act. Last part of the talk before the Q&As. I mentioned earlier some objections that we might have to lamenting. I'll mention one more final one, a practical one. I don't know how to. <laughs> William, I don't know how to. I've never seen it done. It's quite outside my Christian experience. And that's probably true for most of us. Because it is something that's been neglected through much, most of the Western Evangelical Church for the last couple of hundred years. And we don't have, therefore, have ways of doing it that we're used to. What can we do? Let me suggest two things, a minor thing and a major thing. Firstly, we can learn about it. We can read about it in the Bible. Yeah? Read lament passages. They're not so familiar, are they? But read them, make them more familiar. Soak yourself in them. Get used to the language. This will help us to accept the language more and be confident to do it. It will also give us words that we can use if we're not comfortable or confident in using our own words, well, we can find a psalm or another passage that expresses our feelings and use that as a way of praying to God. If it, the Bible says it, surely it's appropriate for us to use those words. If you want to find out more, I can offer you uh, one thing. I'm doing an evening class at Belfast Bible College in the autumn, Tuesday evenings in September and October, called Arguing with God, Biblical Examples of Talking to God in Difficult Times. It won't just look at lament, but it will look at other ways people engage and argue with God, Moses, Abraham, Joe, and others. And think about what we can learn from them. So if you want to find out more about it, please ask me, or there's a flyers at the back here, green ones, red ones, if you want to see what else we do at the college. Um, speak to Johnny at the BBC stand, or look at the website. No. Plug over. Um, but genuinely, if you think it will be helpful, please, you'd be very welcome. Secondly, most importantly, we can try and do it for ourselves. Now, again, I'm not an expert in doing this. I'm relatively new to coming across it. I've been studying it. Um, but here again, some suggestions taken from theologians and ministers who are trying to help people to lament. We can try it as individuals, especially if things are difficult for us. If you want to read something to help you, then the book uh, I mentioned earlier a couple of times, Mark Robot's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, walks you through how to lament and the importance of it. But try it. Use a lament from the Bible. Try and work out your own one if you prefer. His four steps are quite a good way to outline it. Write it out if you want to beforehand and pray it. Turn to God. You're addressing God in prayer. Bring your complaint. Be blunt. Identify the specific pain or injustice. You can use questions like why and how and so on. Ask boldly. You believe in God. You know? Call on God to act in a way that fits his character and will resolve the complaint. And finally, and most importantly, choose to trust. Affirm God's worthiness to be trusted and commit to praising him, even in this situation. Remember, it's not about getting the words right. It's about being honest. If you truly want to say to God, life stinks, but I trust in you, you will get it right. He will understand. He knows what you're thinking anyway, and he loves you. We can try as a small group. Learn more about it. Do a Bible study on it. The, um, the Bible study in Northern Ireland have produced a useful um, guide called Daring to Hope. It's sort of five sessions, one and a half to two hours each. Uh, apologies, by the way, for this and the previous book. I didn't get this organized quickly enough to get it on the bookstall here. But if you want to come and have a look at the ones at the front, you're welcome to do so. And they're also on the handout if you want to look at them further. 
We can use the group to support each other. Lament with other members of the group when they're in difficulties as a group. You know, when someone gives an uncomfortably candid prayer request, what do we do? Stay silent? Offer some trite comment on helpful advice? No, instead, it was just we try and lament with them. After all, I mean, one function of a small group is meant to be a place where people can be honest, honest, open, and vulnerable, and lament with one way to respond to that. We can try it as a church. You know, if you're in charge of preaching or suggesting to the minister, have a series on lament, or at least have the occasional passage on it to explain what it is, do the sort of thing I'm doing here. Prayer. We can use times of prayer in church to lament. Now, Given my opening example, I wouldn't suggest you just launch straight into the equivalent of Psalm 13 because you'll freak people out and they'll miss the point. Okay, you probably start with the teaching and then move on to the prayer. We can sing. I mentioned that a third of Psalms are about lament. How many of our songs that we sing in church actually mention evil, suffering, doubt, difficulty? How many of them are happy and praise? The danger is, you know, we feel we come to church and we can't bring that into our worship of God. We can we can commit to regularly singing those sort of songs. And there are, you say, where do I find them? There are some modern lament. There aren't that many of them, but there are some out there. I put some on the handout, uh, some on the screen there. Have a look. Give me a website from the LICC, which gives a list of some with some links to the songs. Have a look. Have a use of them. We can hold a specific lament service. Some churches have a service, say, on Remembrance Sunday for to remember those who died. We could use lament as part of that. Other service, we could have another service, a one-off service to focus on a particular issue in the world. You know, how to bring that problem before God and also maybe help us to see the world through someone else's eyes, through the eyes of those who are particularly hurting. And of course, in all these things, leaders of the church, which isn't just the pastor or minister, but those leaders of the church can model this by not just by their words, but by their actions, show that it's okay to tell God that you're not okay. So there we are, lament. And by just saying, I wish God's blessing on all of us as we try to recapture this neglected but important part of the Christian life. Life stinks. I trust in God. Therefore, I pray. I lament. Amen. Yeah, um, now let's move to a time of questions. Um, in the style of lament, please ask your questions honestly and boldly and don't feel there's something you can't ask. Um, but if you want to ask them tentatively, that's okay too, as long as I can hear you. Um, so, give me a minute to think and then ask if anyone has any questions. It's a good question. Yeah, how do we, because there's the grumbling in the desert, which God disagrees with, and there is the lament, which is a good thing. It is, it's, there's no sort of hard and fast instant. The best thing I would say is, are we bringing it to God as part of our life with him, wanting to engage him, wanting to trust? Because part of the grumbling is, oh, why don't we go back to Egypt? We had it better there, which they didn't. Um, you know, we're giving up on you, Moses. We want, let's elect a new leader and go home. It works out the end part. We're going to stone you. They, they're rejecting God's leadership by saying this is wrong. And that's moving beyond, honestly, engaging and saying we give up. So that's probably the key thing. If we're saying, it's like saying, you know, God's given up, God doesn't care, God doesn't love me anymore, therefore I'm going to act on that basis. Whereas they're meant to say, no, I want to keep hold of God. I want to keep going, I want to keep engaging. I find it incredibly hard, and I'm going to say I find it incredibly hard. Thank you, that's a useful, um, useful nuance there.
Thank you. Other questions? Thank you. It's a question, should we keep it to ourselves at least and not, not do it in front of people who are not Christians? Well, I suppose it's, it's, it's an interesting one because what, what do we do in front of our people who are non-Christians anyway? You know, do we pray in front of them? Do we, how do we engage? Hopefully we do engage with them to some degree about our faith. I suppose this will be being honest um, that, you know, Christianity can cope with difficulties because some non-Christians, probably some Christians can think, you know, I go to church and I have to say everything's fine. So the fact I'm willing to say, you know, my life stinks and I'm speaking it out. I'm saying, God, I, I don't know why this is happening. Yeah, I mean, Richard Dawkins might say you're just deluding yourself. This is part of, you know, Christianity trying to make sense out of nonsense. But that's, you know, that's Richard Dawkins. We don't necessarily have to listen to him. Um, but, you know, someone who genuinely knows you and, and to some degree respects you and your faith, you're showing that it actually engages with the whole of your life. And that this, this faith is, is not just for when it's happy and nice and friendly or for special occasions, but it's, it's even for the heart, the difficult points. And that might well, I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? And I mean, you don't want to just sort of, in the same way, you don't just go into church and go, God, what are you doing? Because it's going to freak people out. But, uh, you know, I, I'd say it might well be appropriate, depending on the relationship, how deep it is and how close, would you feel comfortable to, you know, go at them anyway? Um, if not, you probably don't lament at them or with them. It's a good point. Yes, COVID, I mean, Tom Wright, who Isabel quoted, and that's where I sort of my push in the... I was teaching a bit on it before, but I pushed it higher because it became... Very, yeah, because bluntly in the West, as a society... Well, I've got to be careful of Englishmen speaking in Northern Ireland, but certainly in England, um, you know, in the last few decades, there hasn't been much to lament about as a society. Yes, individually, we face horrible situations, and we don't honestly know what to do about them half the time, do we? We don't know how to mourn and to grieve properly. Other parts of the world much more experienced, these are much more relevant. Is it dying away? It might well do. Partly why I'm doing this talk to say, yeah, here is something that has been raised up, let's not lose this. Because yes, COVID, I mean, COVID's declining, not gone yet, declining, but now we're in the middle of an economic crisis. We're back to war in Europe after 40 years. We've got the spectre of nuclear annihilation over us, hopefully, God willing, not. But, you know, there, there are always going to be some things. And even if not, you know, we can lament for others, for the wider world, because there's always somewhere that's suffering. Ukraine's right in our view screen, but there's so many other conflicts in the world and people dying in other ways that, that is just wrong. And we can just insulate ourselves and ignore it. And this is one way to push ourselves and say, no, we're going to try and engage and show that Christianity speaks to all of this, not just when we're happy. So I think there is a danger of it, but we, that's why we need to try and grab hold of it and try and make it part of our lives while we have this emphasis on it. Thank you. How do we marry lament as a good thing with God's sovereignty and accepting that his plans for us are good and so forth? I mean, it, it comes back to the, the paradox of God's sovereignty and human free will, doesn't it? You know, God is sovereign ultimately over everything. Life is a mess. And that's, you know, an argument that people will use against, say, well, there can't be an all-loving, all-powerful God because life's a mess. One of the strongest arguments against Christianity that's out there is, you know, the problem of suffering. And there are apologetic answers that can be given intellectually. And in another seminar, we could go into that. But this is a different type of thing. This is just saying, how do I respond? And I may know that intellectually, but right in my situation right now, I don't feel that. It is not the deepest core of my being. I'm finding it hard. I'm trying to affirm it. So I'm trying to, yes, I'm saying, God, you are just, all those assumptions I started with, you're just, you're loving, you're powerful. Why is my life in a mess? It's because of that that we're lamenting. Um, you know, so on the one hand, we're called to be a trust and obey. Trust God, obey, you know, utter obedience to God, which is a, another truly scary thing. But, you know, a Jeremiah, the man who 40 years speaks God's word, God's unpopular word to his people, doesn't give up, doesn't shut up even when he's persecuted. He keeps going. 
is a man who in privacy, at least to God, presumably says, what are you doing? How are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? My life's at a mess. So the two are not contradictory, I'd say. They're part of it. And it's a far better way to try and engage, bring it back to God, rather than just sort of saying, you know what, I don't care, or God isn't relevant, or I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, employ of the enemy saying, no, you shouldn't lament. Um, for the good, for the best possible reasons. You know, Job's friends are trying to help him. The early speeches are very sound, very orthodox, very caring, but they're missing the point. Um, so yes, you know, you shouldn't say that sort of thing to God. You can't speak to God that way. You can speak to God that way. Because then it's, oh, you know, it gets into the God can't hear this, or God mustn't hear this, or, you know, therefore God doesn't know about it. And it's not about telling God something he doesn't know. He knows it already. It's about me getting it out there and helping. And again, I can't speak to that sort of pastoral care in counseling terms, but my understanding is it's important for us to get it out there rather than to suck it in. So, yes, it could. I mean, it's, it's a neglect. How do we deal as a church, as Christians, with suffering? We don't necessarily do it very well. <laughs> Uh, one book I particularly recommend, probably, um, if you want a book to read, probably this one, The, the Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, because it just, it's, it's, I mean, this is a guy who's a pastor, but he's personally gone on a journey of lament after the loss of a child, so it's very, you know, it's easy to read, it's personal, it's practical, um, I found it very helpful in terms of preparing for this talk. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, I mean, it, it can be a danger, we, we do want to have Theodos, Theodos... <laughs> We do need theodicy. Theodicy is important as one element. There's an intellectual response to suffering that you can talk about that Christianity isn't incomprehensible. But you also need the lament, the kind of the other point, to say, no, but how do we gauge with this? And to be honest, yes, if we're not being honest, if Christianity is sort of a, it doesn't relate to suffering, then most people, God isn't relevant. They were saying, God is relevant. I don't understand it all, but he's relevant, and I still trust him. So it's that God writes book, The God I Don't Understand. He makes the, he starts off by saying, you know, as I grow older and older, I love and trust God more, but I understand him less in some ways. I don't understand why some of these things happen. And a friend of his said, wow, you're a theologian. You haven't got this sorted out. He said, no, I don't, and I won't ever. And that's important to say. It's not a, you're not a bad Christian if you don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. Right doesn't. Nobody does, ultimately, in this side of heaven. But we can still trust. And we can be honest in trusting. Thank you, yeah. Okay, that probably brings us to time. Um, thank you for your attention. I hope this has been useful. Please do go and try and, you know, make something of it. Uh, and God bless you as you do. New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989. And we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry.